Harpoon honeys and blowhole homies. Rise refreshed from your donkey's breakfast, leap lustily out of your brogans, and seek the sound of the salty sea pig. Because it's time to talk tall to me. Thirsty tolls! She's breaching! Welcome back, I am Omen Thomas Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are that fishery known as the Feckless Moans. And this, my baby belugas, is talk tall to me. A red spout in the hunting grounds of Progrock, in which Nantucket Sleigh Nick and Outrigger Omen will extract the sweet, sweet spermaceti from each and every toss-fluke track that rippling rock band Jethro Tull have ever showed above the surface. We will boil the blasted blubber with Martin Baleen Bar, dart gun the devilfish with Dr. Don Perry, and pinch a pack of plum duff with David Pegg. And if we keep our prickers poised and our salt junk scrappy, perhaps we will sight the rarest cetacean of them all, the white whale of wind instruments, the scrimshawed Scotsman, the train-loving thrasher, the fast fish flautist, the grunting grampus with the face of a krampus, Ian... (laughs) Ambergris Anderson. Go back and read, like, the first line, I think. Rise refreshed from your donkey's breakfast? Uh, keep going, keep going. Uh, Red Spout and the Hunting Grounds of Prog Rock, Nantucket Sleigh Ride, Nick. Nantucket S- Sleigh Ride sounds like the dirtiest euphemism I have ever heard. <laughs> and uh, Nantucket Sleigh Ride is when you have harpooned a whale and you're in one of the small boats and the whale starts oh. running and you are dragged behind it. That is a Nantucket Sleigh Ride. It jumps up on land and starts running. In the snow. In the snow. Nick, welcome back to the pod. It is a pleasure to be here once again. Thank you for having me. It is a a real treat. What would you like to say to our listeners today about talking tall to them? Well, uh, I would like to tell you that I'm looking forward to this song. And what is... If you were to say what that song is, is it? If I were to say what the song is, I would actually say that the song is The Whaler's Dues. Oh, my goodness, what a treat that we get to listen and then talk tall about that. Nick, anything before we dive in? (laughs) Haha. Oh, I see what you did there. And no, no, I don't think so. We've got an eight-minute song ahead of us, so I reckon we might, uh, might as well jump right into that, baby. Why don't we batten down the hatches and have a listen? And hatten down the batches. <laughs> Nick McGill. I don't have words. Oh, man. That was The Whaler's Muse. Mew. <laughs> that is the longest song off the album, no? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. By at least two minutes. I think the only other one comes in like close to six, maybe. And I'd have to look to see which one that is. And be- just because we have kind of a shifting landscape of personnel on this, let's let's review it. Obviously, we have Ian on flute and vocals. We have Martin Barr on electric guitar. We have... 
David Pegg on bass. Yep. We have Doan on percussion. Doan is our drummer on this one. Yep. But then who is playing the keyboards? The, the keyboards. The synth. Uh, this is track number eight. Ian? I think it's Ian. Synclavier. Yeah. Keyboards. Yeah. It's Ian. Wow. Okay. We start the song with Ian taking us down the synth trail to synth town. So mysteriously synthy here. Mysteriously. <laughs> and yet a mysterious taste of synth. <laughs> the front note is synth, and yet the aftertaste is synth clavier. Is We've also got that like plinky glock sound. Yes. We've got some echoey flute. We've got some cymbal sliding in there. Yep. We have oh. Martin on a, on a very twangy. His guitar cuts through the fog. But it's not quite full power electric like we hear a little bit later on. It's just yeah, like not a, yet. It's just in twang mode. The flute is on that pre-echoed setting. So remember, we talked about back in the day, at this point, they may be doing it digitally, but back in the day, they would, Ian would record the flute, and then they would reverse the tape and put the, put the reverb on it so you would hear it before he plays it. Yeah, what was that? That was very early on that we discussed it. I think that was Benefit. Yes, it was Benefit. One of benefit songs, yeah. So now we have kind of a repeat of that technique, but probably done with a different technology. So you hear the flute start to echo before he plays the first note. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Very good. Somewhat reminiscent of the song of the whale, the whale sounds, mm -hmm. whale songs. That's what I think it would be. Yeah, definitely. Mandolin comes in real nice in the verse. Really, really sweet. Tremulo. Around 153. I've been running on deep. Been running on cold. It sounds just different enough to really catch the ear, but it still works with the whole thing. It still blends in, but it, it does stick out. That's one of the stick out sounds. Everything else really blends in this foggy pea soup. But that Mando is just like, oh, there's Mando there. And that's really nice. It's very identifiable. Yeah. To me, it, it speaks to... The humanity, you know, like, oh, there is a person mm -hmm. on, like, here's the ocean, here's the mm -hmm. vastness of the ocean, and then here's a little, here's one poor human soul in all that vastness. Playing the mandolin. Playing the mandolin for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should row instead. <laughs> one of the fascinating things about the construction of this song is that the tempo itself, I think, is pretty slow. Mm -hmm. But that does not prevent the band from rocking it out. And I think what it allows oh. them to do, especially because the song is so long, mm -hmm. I feel snuck up on. You know what I mean? Like the song, you have this, like you described, this kind of soupiness, this this fogginess. And, mm -hmm. and then at a certain point, the band charges up out of nowhere, almost like a whale breaching oh. up out of the surface. And you're like, where mm -hmm. in the hell did that come from? And now yeah. I'm caught in the vortex. I'm caught in the, what's the famous vortex? The maelstrom. Oh, is that from The Odyssey? It's actually from real life. Oh, well then. It's in Norway. I'm caught in the femalestrom. 
Well done. Thank you. Well done. The wave file here, it starts out like you've got this tiny little triangle and then it goes quiet again and it goes, it goes. Yeah. And it's a little bit bigger of a triangle and then it drops and it gets quiet again. And then a bigger one and then a bigger one and then a bigger one. And then we have that amazing breakdown when I had that amazing breakdown at about six minutes. And then that final, like the final minute and a half is just like sound. It's really amazing. So to break it down, exactly what's happening, we have a, a couple of things. One identifiable change is that the drum and bass, the peg, the peg and Perry union. The Dave and Don duo. The Dave and Don duo. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, I can't for some reason say that, but yeah, It yes. was hard. It was difficult, yeah. They go from a very laid back rhythm that corresponds much with that down tempo nature of the song. The song is mostly starts us off in three, four, one, two, three, two, two, three. The bass is going dum, dum, bum, bum, bum for a lot of it. On diesel, been running on coal. When we pick up, for instance, after search for each other before we turn out their light, and we have that buildup that includes Ian going <laughs> approximately. <laughs> the bass and drums start playing eighth notes. It feels so charged. It feels electric. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm, I have St. Elmo's fire all over my body. So even though Ian's singing is very like arduous and plodding and mournful and slow, mm. the feeling of the music in between is the thrill of the hunt almost. Yeah. When the whale breaches, oh shit, oh, we gotta yeah. go, we gotta go everybody to arms, you know. There's it, there is that really nice flop back and forth. And even within his voice, you're totally right. You know, he's he's it's funny that he starts with money speaks. He is almost speaking. Mm. It's the whalers do's. You know, he's almost just speaking with a little bit of inflection. Mm-hmm. He starts more singing properly on I've been running on diesel. When he starts, uh, there are a couple places where he sings, are you with me? Can you forgive me? Can you forgive me? He goes for it. He goes so mm-hmm. high. It's Beltalicious. Yeah. The singing in this song is so powerful. On The Truth Only Whispers, he goes, the truth only whispers. Like he gets all gravelly. The truth only whispers. And yeah, when he gets that kind of call and response, like he is... Up there. Are you it with really, me? It's oh the my most God. passionate I've ever heard him sing, and it's it's pretty so amazing, powerful. Yeah, it's real good. And then having all those voices kick back in with no, and I think that's probably oh him God. doubled up, but probably the other gentleman as well. I would not be surprised if he had the boys in there doing that. Yeah, there's one little piece of percussion way back in the beginning that I just wanted to note where we have this, mm. I don't know what it is, maybe a, a stick, like a wood block, and it goes duck, 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 duck. 
Oh. Early, early on. Early on, still yeah. kind of setting the scene orally, yeah. yeah. I, have, I have so many thoughts about this song. So most of the song is in 3-4. Mm-hmm. When we go into the musical breakdowns, for some portions of those, we shift into 4-4. Four, four. Yes, I think I caught that, actually, yeah. I think I saw you catching it. <laughs> that was me catching a cold, actually. <laughs> but it's, it's nice we have a little bit of shifting back and forth. Yeah. There is something about that 3-4 that, for me, mimics that kind of the rolling of the deep tides in the ocean, the rolling mm-hmm. of those swells. Dun, 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 shum, bum, bum, yeah. Bum. There is so much what my French theater teachers would call mimodynamic action in this song, where the sounds are capturing the dynamic movements of some mm. of the concepts that we're talking about. We've talked about that before. Yeah, definitely. The ice cracking in Tundra. Mm-hmm. We've had some really good examples of the soundscape painting the picture yes, for us. Yes. This is a primo example. Oh, very much. This is so powerful. Yeah. This is a bit of an oeuvre. In and of itself, yeah. I think overall, I think this album takes a little bit to warm up, but this last half, really going into this, Heavy Water's good. Another Christmas song is a bit of a remove, I think. It doesn't quite fit. I like it, the song. It's good. Thematically, it's a little, doesn't quite fit. But when we get into these last three, particularly the Whalers do, is you're just, you're in for a dark roller coaster. It is awesome. It does feel a little bit like some really incredible, dark, self-reflective work. And then every other song is like, let's do a silly one now. Yeah. And that contrast, I don't mind. I like that there is a bit of sweet and a bit of meat. Salty. Oh, yes. Thank you. (laughs) This song really does something that is pretty extraordinary. I think it's the most powerful off the album. It's so potent. At 4.15, we have like the first of our breakdowns. We've got Martin over the top with like the anti-melody. Like he's just like, he's like just ripping. It only happens twice, like one right after the other, but it's really cool. It's a bit unusual. It's an unusual breakdown. In the next breakdown at around, or the breakdown kind of shifts at around 6.08, Martin does some gorgeous work on the guitar, proposing alternate themes almost, or or doing variations that are so far away from the theme that they almost sound like new melodies. Yeah. But they work. But still fit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you have a fractal pattern and you're like, Mm. this bit over here is totally different. Oh, no, it's not. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Fibonacci tells me that it is. To reflect on all of my sins and the death of the way. And then at the tail end of that breakdown, that second breakdown, right at the end, we get Ian goes, meh. Yes. It comes to a point and he goes, meh, and it's silence. And then Doan comes in with that drum fill that yeah. just makes me throw my panties at the nearest stage. I don't care what it is. <laughs> it could be senior bingo night. They <laughs> are going up there. <laughs> yeah. The 
thing I appreciate so much about this song is that it has this incredible superstructure, which is mm. this huge, big gestures. I mean, the main melody is bum, 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 bum. Mm. I mean, it's almost like Beethoven. Like, it's just whole notes. Yep. And because the superstructure is so, the proportions of it are so big, being able to fill it with those it makes it vast and intense at the same time. It's amazing. Yeah. It's a song you can get lost in. Yeah. This song in particular is not one of those like, oh, I'm going to listen to the album and I'll appreciate them all. This song, you, I find it very difficult to really appreciate if I don't have headphones on and nothing else going on. You have to stop what you're doing and, pay, and yeah. it demands attention. Yeah. We don't see those often, but this is one of those. As an inflection point. Inflect. I think I will. Can you? Um, we were born in 1985. Fact. So. Good night, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> one of the, and we'll talk more about this in the second part of the show, but one of the significant mm. things that was happening in the 80s was this big international effort of conservation to save the whales. Save the whales. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that was instrumental in changing public opinion about the whale, and one of the things that was really instrumental about getting public support was that somebody dropped a microphone into the ocean and recorded the whale sounds and then put that out to the public. And suddenly people were like, oh, these aren't just big, dumb blubber fish. We're dying here. Hey. They're speaking to each other in this complex, beautiful, haunting language. Oh my gosh. I Now I feel connected to it. But yeah. the knock-on effect of that in the 90s was that I feel like everyone had a cassette tape of like Pachelbel's Canon, but with whale song. There was this whole genre of music <laughs> yes. that was like, yep. we'll do this little, you know, we'll do some piano, but with whale song. Yeah. I remember in second grade when it was like quiet time to do your work, Mrs. Simuldora would put on whale song. I remember that. It was the big thing. Yeah. And I think it was an effective campaign to get us to recognize like, oh, whales are intelligent beings. Yeah. They're super intelligent. I'm instantly like, oh, it doesn't have whale song along with it. Great. It's solidly in the early 90s. Yeah. Did you hear they came up with a theory about the orcas taking out the yachts? What is it? They like to play in the, not, it's not a propeller, is it? Yeah, the motor, the runoff of the motor of that, all that water spinning. They like to play in that. Oh, because it has the vibration. Yeah. Uh-huh. So when the yacht's just sitting there, like, okay, let's attack it and get it moving again so we can play in this water. That's a, that's a theory. I don't know. It's the orca equivalent of the Fonz slapping the jukebox. <laughs> yes. Yes. But the jukebox does not sink and cost millions of dollars. <laughs> Except, right. In this case, the Fonz is, weighs 30 tons and smacks <laughs> it too hard. I'm all for the whales attacking the yachts. Personally, I think it's brilliant. Go for it. Eat the rich. Literally. Literally. <laughs> is that marbling? Delicious. Delicious. So fatty. The Talk Tall to Me podcast does not condone cannibalism. As I say, unless you're a whale, but I don't condone that whale on cannibalism. whale violence. Yeah, you're right. No, yeah. No. Whale on whale porn, however. Sign me up. <laughs> Take my email address. Rule 34. Take my work email. This song tells such a, even just sonically, this song tells such a concise story, start to finish. Yes, it does. Oh, yes. 
it's its own like little dark fairy tale. And it, it almost sounds like it could be, it could belong to one of those movies that we watched as kids from like the late eighties, early nineties that we should definitely not have watched when we were six years old, <laughs> but we did, you know, it feels like, I mean, I'm thinking it's not quite the same sound, but I'm thinking like legend or something like that, you know, where it's just so dark. It's so dark. Well, we will talk more about that in the second half. Will we? We, will we? Will we? Do you remember uh, one of the Star Trek films was about saving the whales? I've not ever seen anything Star Trek. They all came back into the past, which was our like modern era. And Scotty, they were like, you have to save the whales. They're essential for the, for the future. There's a whole scene of him. They're like, oh, well, yeah, you can just, he's like, I, he, I want to design this. I want to create this substance for you so you can create this like really thick container because we have to save a whale or something. We have to take it to outer space, whatever it was. Sounds right. Yeah. Who's like, here are my credentials. And they're like, oh, you can use our computer. It's like, you know, 1985. He looks at the computer and he says, computer. And they all look at him. <laughs> and they're like, they're like, um, you, you can use the mouse. And he says, oh, of course, the mouse. And he picks up the mouse and he says, Computer! <laughs> As if it's a microphone. That sounds legitimately funny for Star Trek. It was, it was a funny moment. Okay, Omen, let's dive into our halfway. I've got two emails for us to discuss, so we might as well get into it. First one, return writer inner no one but Folky Phil. Ladies and gentlemen, <gasps> Folky Phil writes back Phil in. Folk. Well, welcome. Welcome to have you back. This is called Tall and the Hall of Fame. Okay. Hi, Nick. I enjoyed the Ears of Tin pod today, good stuff as ever, and noted the comment from your latest writer inner about it being an outrage that Tull are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Hmm. I've heard this a lot from American fans and can appreciate their sentiment. I recently came across Ian's reported thoughts on the Hall of Fame, which are typically forthright and curmudgeonly. Yes, no doubt. <laughs> Quote, I think it's quite wrong for us to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when so many great acts are being ignored and will be for all time because I suppose they haven't sold enough records or aren't that popular to impress the founding fathers of the Rock Hall. But Tall isn't an example of Americana, and Americana is what the Rock Hall should be about. Hmm. It's celebrating American music in an American institution, and I don't really feel Tall really qualifies in that sense. Hmm. It's not that I have any disdain for Americana, that's what got me into music in the first place, but I don't feel that's what I do. Hmm. But if you were nominated, I can confidently predict it will not happen because I have it on fairly good authority that the folks who make these decisions are not Tull fans and decided a long time ago that we would not be part of it. Hmm. It takes away the difficulty of sending a polite no thank you note because I'm not about to jump on a plane to go wherever it is just to be a part of a celebration. <laughs> Granddad, it's best that they don't ask me. Then I don't have that difficulty of sounding like a real old sourpuss. Well, I mean, Ian... And say I'm going to wash my hair that day, which really isn't a plausible <laughs> excuse any longer. But I have great respect for all those artists who are part of it. Well, it reminds me of, Groucho, of the Groucho Marx line. I wouldn't want to be a part of any club that would have me as its member. Folky Phil says there seems to be an element of Groucho Marxist philosophy here. There we go. I don't want to belong to any club that would accept me as one of its members. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. 
it's an interesting point about it being an American institution and therefore it, it's not relevant to bands from other countries. I also think that the more that I learn about any of these award giving organizations, it's all arbitrary. It's baloney, yeah. It's typically a bunch of white guys, white men, who say, these are the things that I like, and so that's what's going to go in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. It's arbitrary. Yeah. You know, and sometimes there are, there are reasons of personality. You know, if you look at the, the Grand Old Opry, mm-hmm. and that, you know, who is an official member of the Grand Old Opry, Hank Williams Sr., who invented country music as we know it, wasn't a member because when he was performing at the Grand Old Opry, he was a drunken mess. And so they decided, well, he's, he's persona non grata. We'll never put him in. Okay. And that's their decision to make because they started their silly little club. But if their mission is to say, we're going to be in support of country music, then of course they should have him, regardless of his personality. It's all just silliness. Yeah. He goes on to note that, like you said, it's absurd that it's just an American institution because Zeppelin, Floyd, Genesis, Queen, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, and yes, are all a part of the Rock and Roll uh-huh, Hall of Fame. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Writer Phil Martyr of Goldmine Magazine points out, quote, on the Billboard album charts, Tall rank 20th on the list of bestsellers in the 70s. Of the 19 artists above them, just Barbara Streisand, Chicago, and John Denver have failed to gain entry into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In fact, of the 10 ranked below Tull, just one, Grand Funk Railroad, has yet to be inducted. So of the top 30 sellers, yeah. Tull is one of five, six from the 70s. And the other one is Barbara Streisand. Who Barbara Streisand. It'd be a stretch to say that she's a rock and roll artist. I mean, there are some who are currently in the Hall of Fame who I think could be a stretch. And I love Barbara Streisand. But she's not rock and roll. Streis, sorry, Streisand. Streisand. And just today... She just released an autobiography. I'm sorry, go ahead. Everybody just released an autobiography, including literally what I'm talking about right now. Getty Lee is on a book tour for his, Getty Lee from Rush. Yes the Canadian equivalent of Tull. So someone posted on Facebook about going to see him on his book tour. It says, I saw Getty Lee talk about his new book last night in Cleveland, and an audience member asked who he thought should be in the Rock Hall of Fame, who has been overlooked and replied. He said, oh, I have thoughts. His number (laughs) one pick, Tull, of course. He then went on to tell of his Tull love, which started when he first saw them in 1971. The crowd went nuts. Great. There you go. Really interesting stuff. And that's why it should be, I think any institution like this should be a vote of the peers or they should ask us. I, I did notice that the Rock and Roll Hall Just of Fame did, hasn't asked us. No. And so how valid can they really be? It's like the Strong Museum of Play in Rochester. They have the National Toy Hall of Fame and they put it to vote. They put it up to vote for anyone to be able to vote on. It's the same thing. There you go. That makes more sense to me, other than old white guys in power. Folky Phil, thank you for getting our blood pressure up. This has been really exciting. That it has. Next to wrap up, we have ourselves an email from a new writer in her. Been a while. Yes, indeed. Goes by the name of ABC. Subject, some love, comma, a find, and a comment. Not using the Oxford comma, we understand, then that is a matter of personal taste to which you have the right. Message, 
Hello, Nick and Omen. I've been enjoying Talk Tall to Me for a couple months now. Love your nerd chic. Though you might find a better description of that. I I think that's uh, I think it's a wonderful description. Recently, I stumbled upon a list of albums by various artists where Ian Anderson guested. And there was a hardcore punk band from Queens called Six and Violence. If you haven't heard them, I suggest you check it out. Anderson guested on two tracks from the first of their two albums, Lettuce, Pray, Lettuce Like the Vegetable. It's not on Spotify, it seems, but thankfully we have YouTube and ABC includes the links. And I will drop those in the show notes and I'll also play a little clip of both of those now. Here is the song Theological Guns. And now here is a clip from the song Bursting Bladder. I wonder what the rationale was behind their inviting Anderson to play. Were they just fans of Tull? Or were they also taking a piss at the Grammys? Appropriate turn of phrase. Also, regarding the interpretation of Ears of Tin, I don't think you discussed this possibility in the podcast. The girl he mentions could be either a former girlfriend or just a girl he used to fancy, but then he left the island and her for the mainland. I suppose it's migration rather than a regular commute. If you did mention it, I apologize. Thanks for your charming talks. ABC, thank you so much. Thank you. For those fascinating clips. You should absolutely check them out. They are bracing. They're music? That you should brace yourselves before you listen to them. Yes. It's like pirate punk. Close. Yeah, that sounds about right. It's like a pirate punk band in an alleyway. I think more important than why did they ask Ian to play, why did why Ian did say agree? yes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and who knows? Yeah. And these were like, were these 91? Were these? Maybe they asked very nicely. Is that all it takes? Is that all we need to do? At any rate, ABC, thank you so much for your writing in. I hope you continue to listen. I hope you continue to write us, and we will continue to develop the new style called Nerd Chic. 1990 was that album, so this that's literally right after this that Ian was like, you know what, maybe I need to do this. I should play on a song where the first 14 seconds are pissing. Sound of someone urinating. <laughs> and the next 12 seconds are a flushing toilet. Yeah, it's a lot. And yes, I do really like the idea of of it being a migration of our main character in Ears of Tin permanently leaving that island and leaving the girlfriend or the, the lover or someone and not being able to come back. It's a valid interpretation. I, it is. I think it works both ways. And, and that would be a common thing that people from the highlands and the north of England would experience, having to go south for economic reasons and leaving their love behind. Yeah, absolutely. It's totally legit. I didn't think about it like that, but I do like the idea. Okay, Omen, let's talk content. Let's talk some whale fat here. Let's chew the whale fat. There we go. I got there. So what I want to do, Nick, is yeah. I want to take it all the way back. I want to take it all the way back. That's what I hear about you. I don't want to take it all the way back, Nick. 
What I want to take it back to is I'm getting mixed signals now. <laughs> I think it's worth remembering that the hunting of whales by mankind has been happening for a very long time. Yes. The Inuit communities have traditional whale hunting methods that go back thousands of years. Yeah. Of course, they were done on a scale that was so minute that it didn't affect the whale population hardly at all. Right. Yeah. More large scale whale hunting occurred throughout the late 17 and early 1800s. But then what happened was the Industrial Revolution kicked in. And what do machines need to run, Nick? Tears. Lubricant, yes. Lubricant. Yes. Not tear lubricant, though. No, tears would rust the machines. Oh, yeah, you're right. So all of the fabulous new machines of the 19th century required the finest of oils. And petroleum had yet to be discovered on such a large scale. But what they discovered is that the very best oil in the world came from the blubber of whales. And even depending on the species of whale and the part of the whale, I mentioned spermaceti. Mm -hmm. Spermaceti is a type of oil that comes from one particular gland of the head of the sperm whale and is used to lubricate watches. Wow. And could fetch a fabulous price. Yeah. At the same time, as this increased demand for whale oil was occurring, the methods by which people could hunt whales started advancing and advancing and advancing. So mm -hmm. back in the 1800s, 1850s, we have Moby Dick. We have uh, all the wonderful whale songs that we, the Greenland fisheries song, all kinds of things which reference the more traditional ways of hunting whales mm -hmm. by hand, essentially. As you get into the 20th century, things like electrically discharged harpoons, exploding harpoons, steamships, methods of hunting whales that made it so much more efficient started developing. And so the exploitation of whales went up exponentially Yeah. until by the 80s, most whale populations were really, really on the verge of extinction. So when they were saying save the whales in the 80s, they weren't just saying, oh, maybe hypothetically we should save a whale. It was like either we do something or literally every whale on earth is gone forever. Yeah. Another valuable part of the whale, I don't know if, did you mention ambergris? I mentioned it in the intro, but... Okay, yeah. Ambergris is... It's from the stomach, right? It's the gunk from the stomach? Yeah, or the throat, I think. Oh, it's the throat? It's a lozenge. It's used for, for perfumes, I think, yes, predominantly. Yes. It's, a, it's a base scent for perfumes. It's a carrier, and it's wildly expensive. You can, mm. you can sometimes find it washed up on the shore, and it will... Somebody finding it... A chunk of it, you know, a one pound chunk of it, that's like a life-changing financial. Wow. Thing. If you can recognize what it actually is. If you don't just kick it and go, ew, <laughs> my foot smells so good now. So significantly to the writing of this song and the content of this song, mm -hmm. in 1982, the International Whale Commission voted to completely ban commercial whaling. And that ban came into effect in 1986. Mm. So that was an agreement between all of the big whale hunting countries, which included Japan, the US, Canada, and significantly the UK. China still does it, I think, right? They're like the only ones who do it present day. I think that now, yeah, either they were not part of it originally, or there's been some relaxation in recent mm. years because the whale populations, you know, funny thing, when you stop hunting them to death, they the populations rebound slightly. Yeah. So now I think some of the some of the restrictions have been used. I know there are a lot of there's a lot of debate about indigenous communities saying, you know, they're like, hey, we want to hunt one whale a year. 
Yeah, right. That's like our tradition. So does it really make sense to ban them? Anyway. Yeah. But the writing of this song, and as we now finally start to get into the content, that's the situation in which the song was written, where there were all these old timer, old timey whalers who were being cut out of a job because of this big international effort to save the whales from going extinct. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, nothing, nothing can be done without it affecting somebody clearly. I mean, somebody's going to lose a job somewhere. Well, it's the same situation that we're facing now with the coal industry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What I love about this song is that it humanizes the persona who was being demonized by the international community. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying the whalers, the people hunting the whales are the problem, they could have been saying the corporations who are buying whale oil are the problem. Yeah. Could have. Didn't. And now we have the coal miners and people are saying, you know, rightly, people in West Virginia are saying, if you shut down the coal mines, this whole town is going to be out of a job and disappear. Yeah. And so now I think there's some effort to say, well, we can retrain them to work in solar panels or something like that. But Right. Renewables. Yeah. But whether those schemes are actually effective for everybody is, is unknown. It's yet to be seen because nobody's doing it yet. So, money speaks, soft hearts lose, the truth only whispers, it's the whalers do. Money speaks, soft hearts lose, the truth only whispers, it's the whalers do. So what are the whalers dues in this context? What are dues in general? Something that you pay to be a part of something? Yeah. In general, it's there's a monetary payment like if you want to be a part of the elks club or something you pay your dues and you are allowed to be part of that unique group you could also use it to refer to time or action i've paid my dues with this company oh yeah that's true i've put in the time and the effort right as opposed to sacrificing money you you sacrifice your time you give your time in order to belong and get that sense of being owed something i guess that's the other connotation you could use the term due in it's due to me mm-hmm it's the whaler's dues. It's what's owed to the whaler. Yeah. This concept of money speaks, soft hearts lose. Well, the thing that I'm getting running through this song is this sense of the person knows that the action of hunting the whale has a tinge of, at least a tinge of immorality, that there's something wrong with it, that it is murder. But the money speaks, and therefore speaks. that's the thing that is driving this the soft hearts, the people who are saying save the whales, they have nothing to back them, so they lose. As long as money is in the favor of the of the side of hunting, then it wins. Right. And also when it comes down to personal choice. I mean, a lot of times I think the argument around something like this, you know, if you think of poachers in Africa, mm-hmm. people say, well, why don't you just not poach? Well, easy for you to say. Right. But the person who's in the position of poaching is doing so because that is how they can advance themselves economically or in some cases survive. Right. Some people are disgusting, wretched human beings who do it for fun. But but the majority of predominantly yes. it's yeah, it's what else do they have? And so any scheme to say we have to stop the exploitation of this natural resource without saying here's an alternative way that people can make a living exactly is doomed to fail yeah. or doomed to occur on the 
collateral of people mm. being thrust into terrible poverty. Right. You, you can't create a vacuum. Something has to replace it. I love this line. I've been running on diesel, running on coal, been running on borrowed time, if truth's to be told. I've been running on diesel, been running on coal, running on borrowed time, if truth's to be told. It's almost a perfect example of the hunting of the whale and the hunting of the natural resources of coal and petroleum right. are in a way connected. Just as detrimental to the environment too. You yes. know, it's it's not like I'm using my solar panels to hunt down those whales. It's right. You smell that burning and you feel that greasy smoke. You see the black coming out of the ship with that imagery. I met a guy once who worked in the fracking industry. Wow. And he was not a lover of fracking, hmm. but he was living in an area where that was the way to make money. And he had a kid mm -hmm. and he, he knew that he needed, needed to make money. It was either that or get sucked back into the world of drugs. Where was that? Where was he living? He was from West Virginia, but he was living in Southern oh. Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Very economically depressed. Hmm. And I remember he said, you know, anytime he would talk about it, he would say, you know, we're all just poking holes in mother nature's ass. <laughs> and he had that same thing of like, I know it's the wrong thing to do and I have to survive. Yeah. Two whales in the ocean cruising the night search for each other before we can turn out their light. Two whales in the ocean cruising the night search for each other before we turn out their yeah. It's almost like the last two whales on earth. Yeah. The imagery. Yeah. Searching for each other with their whale song. To try to procreate before we snuff that light out altogether. They're searching for each other. Yeah. 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 Been accused of deep murder on the North Atlantic swell, but I have three hungry children and a young wife as well. Exactly. That's it. Exactly what you were saying. Yeah. Been accused of deep murder. On the North Atlantic swell, but I have three hungry children and a young wife as well. I just want to put in a note here from our newest and the youngest Tull Skull, who goes by Sassity, has a velvet mondegreen for this line. Oh. Is it a bear? Is he shaking his hair? Is it velvet mondegreen? They heard 300 children and a young <laughs> wife as well. <laughs> Who's exhausted? Woof, I'm so tired. I have a Velvet Mondegreen for this song as well. Oh yeah? What is it? Well, it's a little bit further down. Okay. So we'll get to it in a moment. Okay. The rest of that stanza, and behind stand generations of hard-hunting men who raised a mm -hmm. glass to the living and went killing again. And behind stand generations of hard-hunting men who raised a glass to the living who went killing again. This is always the argument that fails to affect me in any way. You know, when it comes to coal mines, well, my daddy was a coal miner and his daddy was a coal miner and his daddy was... Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what? Change. Humans need yeah. to change. <laughs> right. Done. Tradition drives me so f 
fucking crazy. The argument of I have to do this or I don't have another way of making an income and I have to support my family. That's a very valid argument. Legit. Saying, well, my daddy beat kittens and so I'm a kitten beater till I die. Well, <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's no. dumb. Incorrect. Yeah. So dumb. And then we get that. We get the first of the are you with me? No. Ugh. Love it. Those voices that know. So that is the world against our anti-hero here, you know, yeah. the subject of our our story. And and in a way, I, in a way, I almost want it to be like the voices of the whales, you know, because it's got this like of all of the hauntingness of this song, mm. that's the most to me. Are you with me? No. There's a reverb there. There's a layer. There's an echo. And it really, it's so poignant. The way he sings it. Yeah, he goes up and <sighs> everybody, and it's not the no, the response is not crisp and clear like Ian's voice. It's it's back. It's back yes. behind you. And, yes. and it's coming from that mist and that fog. You don't know where it's coming from. Ian and the band do such an amazing job of capturing this feeling of a person who has no choice, knows that what they're doing is wrong, and is asking the world to have sympathy for their situation. And the world says, fuck you. Yeah. You're the bad guy. Yeah. Because you grew up in a situation where this was the only thing that you learned how to do. This is the only thing that makes you money in the area. That, and, you ha and we're not offering you any alternatives so you can die. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's intense. In our tall file folder of categorization here, this very cleanly falls into the the Working Man song. Yes. But it is the most extreme end of one side, one of that scale. I would also subhead it under industrialization causes suffering. Sure. Right, right. It's almost like the polar negative of heavy horses in a way. Hmm. Rather than through industrialization, we have lost this beautiful way of doing things. Mm -hmm. It's through industrialization, this old way of doing things that was sustainable has gotten so out of control that it needs to be stopped completely, no matter the consequences. Right. And it's not the lamentation of the whale or the loss of the horse. It's the lamentation of the person doing that job. A way of life. Which is just as legitimate. Yeah. When I was doing research for the triptych, I found a glossary of whaling terminology, mm -hmm. and it was fascinating to me because it was written in like 1902 or 1885 oh, cool. or something. It was it was pretty old. Yeah, just the language, just the words that were used, gives you a real sense of the violence mm. and the brutality of the work, but also sure. the life changing money that could be made hmm. with these sailors. And it was so it was so dangerous. There was a People died all the time. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And there's that wonderful line in the Greenland Fisheries song where he says, basically, they go after this whale. It gets away from them. It capsizes a boat full of men, and they have to go home to harbor with nothing. And the line is, well, the losing of those five brave boys, it grieved our captain sore. But the losing of that hundred barrel whale, it grieved him 10 times more, brave boys. That was the reality of it. It's like, oh yeah, we lost those dudes and that sucks. But even worse, we just lost 
maybe an irrevocable amount of money and we've lost our yeah. livelihoods because we had one failed trip. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. In a more quote unquote romantic sense, it reminds me of what's the, oh, deadliest catch almost in a way. It's very similar. Yeah. It's not wiping out the crabs, but it's still. It could be. I mean, yeah, that's true. Those are fisheries that have had to be where their quotas are being cut down and down and down. And the number of boats mm. that are out is being cut down and down because the authorities are trying to preserve the populations. Yeah. But for the people doing it, they're getting pressed by the increasing costs of running the operation and the reduced profits that they're able to make every time one of these restrictions gets hit on them. Yeah. Okay. Money speaks, soft hearts lose. The truth only whispers now pay the whalers dues. From that, I get almost like, okay, if you're going to take this away from me, you have to give me something. Right. I haven't been skimping here. I've been working my ass off this whole time. So where's my compensation if you're going to take this away? It's almost like social security. I've been paying into the system. Don't I get something back? And I know it's not, it's not that, but I mean, he's contributed to society. He's contributed to everything that has benefited from these whales. Shylock in The Merchant of Venice says, do you not take away a man's house when you take away the stave that supports his house? Mm. Do you not take away a man's life when you take away the way that he makes a living, essentially? Yeah. This is that same argument. It's like, you're going to kill me. Yeah. So you have to give me something. Can you forgive me? No. So my Velvet Mondegreen, I'd always heard it as, Awailing, we go. <laughs> you heard a wailing from Can You Forgive Me? Yeah. I was like, oh yeah. Awailing, Can you forgive me? Wailing, we go. That sounds like the opening song to an anime at this point. <laughs> the lyrics for one anyway. So then we get to this last verse. Yeah, this is the ultimate downfall of our subject here. Now I'm old and I sit landlocked in a backcountry jail to reflect on all of my sins and the death of the whale. Mm. Send me back down the ages, put me to sea once again when the oceans were full, yes, and men would be men. Now I'm old and I sit landlocked in a backcountry jail to reflect on all of my sins. And the death of a whale Send me back down the ages Let me to see once again When the oceans were full Yes, as men would be men So, for me, this song is a tragedy and not the song of a villain. Absolutely, yes. If it were the song of a villain, it would be, well, I could have stopped hunting the whale because I'm rich from whale hunting, but I just love killing them. <laughs> oh no, they caught me. Yeah, right. It's a tragedy because he has everything taken away from him. He's bereft of choices. He does the only thing he knows he can do to survive, which is to go and hunt one last whale. He gets caught and he gets punished for him. Yeah. And then he reminisces, send me back down the ages, put me to sea once again when the oceans were full. So it's a double tragedy for him. The oceans are depleted. He knows that. 
but also he has a sense that men can't be men anymore. I mean, it smacks to me a little bit of like, men can't be men because of woke. Yeah, right. But what, I can't touch a woman's ass anymore? <laughs> I can't harpoon a woman on the street <laughs> and remove the spermaceti from her head lump <laughs> for profit? From her head lump. <laughs> I think when Ian says, and men would be men, what I'm reading is a sense of deep cultural identity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that's often what the argument is about. People think it's about gender, and I don't think it is. I think it's about people's cognizance that the way of life is changing. Mm. And they equate that, they link that to gender in an unnecessary way. Right, exactly. And what it boils down to is that way of life. This is a blanket statement, but I'm assuming people in the whaling industry and the coal industry and everything. A lot of traditional industries. If you're doing suicidal physical work, you're a man. And if you go work at the Dollar General scanning people out, you're not a man. And a lot of those industries were and still are extremely gendered. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you, by virtue of being a man, you had the option to go whaling, whereas if you were a woman, you couldn't. Yeah. And so because it is an industry restricted to men, it is therefore by logical extension manly to do it, mm -hmm. which is all very silly. Such nonsense. Woof. What an unhappy ending. Unless you're a whale, in which case, it's not bad. It's not bad. Hopefully you found your, your one other one before your light got turned out. Oof. So, whale species, many of them are now rebounding. Some of them are not. But it is, in theory, a better situation for the whales at this particular time than it was in 1989 when this album came out. We can certainly hope, and I would also like to assume that that, that is the case as well. Yeah. If miners have black lung, what do whalers have? Black lung is to miners as blank is to whalers. I think they just get death. I think if you die, <laughs> if you get in blubber leg, <laughs> well, yeah, I think you could very easily lose an arm. Maiming, yeah. Maiming, drowning. Mm -hmm. I think those are the main occupational hazards. It's the exposure to the dangerous element as opposed to the long-term exposure of like, I'm breathing in these minute particles that will eventually fill up all of my papillae in my lungs. I think in that sense, it's a pretty healthy job. I think that one of the, one of the realities of this kind of industry, and you see it on The Deadliest Catch, is that the pay cycle is so unpredictable. Mm. So you go on a, a three-month crab run, and maybe at the end of it, you get a $60,000 check. That's fantastic. But what happens then? You know, you blow it all on liquor and drugs. You go home and you build a brand new house, and then and then you're counting on another sixty thousand dollar check the next run, and you you come back with twenty. Yeah, it's very possible. Or you get injured, and now you also can't work, and you have medical bills. So that kind of jackknifing between feast and famine, I think that is the real difficulty or the real danger with this kind of work. And it's in seasons too. You know, I mean, you have to take months off. On a super minor scale, I mean, that's the way it was when I was doing construction. You know, we took the winter months off. 
Some years were great. Some years I was in the field all the time. Other times I was in the shop all the time and and I got paid a third of what I would be getting in the field. Because you were cutting bait. You weren't fishing. Exactly. Yeah. Building forms actually, but yes. Yes. Equivalent. (laughs) In the exploration of the language, I found a lot of fun little bits and pieces, but one thing that really stuck out to me is I hadn't found before. So the theater industry has a lot of very special terminology. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that terminology comes from sailors. No shit. Wow. Yeah, because a lot of the original theaters in New York, where the American theater scene got started, the riggers were off-duty sailors. Wow, yeah. Sailors who decided to stay ashore, whatever. Mm-hmm. So there was a huge transfer of language and cultures. That's why one of, that's one of the reasons why it's considered bad luck to whistle in a theater. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with theater. It's because it's considered bad luck to whistle on a ship. Wow. But I found this one, the ditty box or ditty bag. That sounds so familiar to me. In a costume shop, if you're doing a play, the ditty bag is what they get. If you, let's say your character, your costume has like a watch and, uh, and oh, you have a comb that's special because mm-hmm. of the way you do your hair. They put all that in the ditty bag and they hang that up with your costume. It's a bag yeah. that hangs along with your costume. The ditty box or ditty bag was a sailing term for the box that the sailors kept their personal effects in. Hmm. So direct translation and a term I haven't heard anywhere else. That's really cool. To what are we listening next week? We are on the second to last song on this album already. Wow. Not only will we be talking the album art, we will also be talking Big Riff and Mando. One of the most narratively driven songs on the album. Silly but fun. I'm excited to talk about it. Until next week. Soft hearts lose, but you know what speaks? The stars themselves. You can protect our mome population by donating five stars and letting other people know about our incoherent blubbering song. You can consider a monthly subscription to our Patreon as your whalers dues. By paying those dues, you get access to our Discord, as well as two additional monthly podcasts, Feckless and Outtake Tall to Me. If you want to show your pride, and behind you stand generations of hard podcast listening men, you can get yourself a Talk Tall to Me branded t-shirt off of our Tee Public page now in tie-dye. Until next week, now I'm old and I sit landlocked. I'm Nick McGill. Can you forgive me? No, you can't. I'm Omen Thomas Said. We are the two whales in the ocean, the feckless momes. And let's go killing again. <laughs> it's Talk Tall to Me. <laughs> Oh. Oh. Oh.
Here in the North Sea, this calf is staying close to the side of its mother's head while they are swimming. This way, they can always see what dangers are present, and the calf can suck upon the thick, thick fatty milk. This mother is asking her calf to suck a little more lightly as her whale nipples have become chafed by the salty North Sea waters. (laughs) This calf has drunk over a hundred gallons of milk today. He's gained 300 pounds every week for the past six months. He's now as big as my wife thinks I am. Whales are not bonded mating pairs. A female can consort with up to 60 bulls in a single season, much like my wife. In another portion of the North Sea, two pods are competing for resources. The strange sound of this whale song denotes that an individual of this pod is constipated and won't be able to take part in the battles today. He's sunk down to the bottom in shame. Any minute now, he should release a whale fart. That is enough gas to power a small Scottish town for three months. The institution of whale farts for a greener future is looking at ways to capture whale farts and also make them more gassy. Here, off the coast of Nova Scotia, an exotic whale behavior is taking place. As we've known for some time, the noise pollution caused by massive ships has disrupted the mating patterns. However, scientists have discovered an aphrodisiac of sound. These whales have engorged sexual parts. I nearly lost an eye while recording this. What is this erotic sound to which the whales are getting jiggy? Why, it's nothing more than a podcast. Yes, Talk Tultimy, which as we know is a proud member of the Feckless Moms audio network, has gotten these whales breeding at a frightening rate. Oh, yeah. <laughs>